Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled, Abraham, the Father of Our Faith. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website, cbcsavannah.com. Our gracious Father in heaven, these people, these people right here are the ones that you and your providence and your glorious wisdom have decided that we will gather together this morning and we will sing praises and we will hear your word proclaimed. And my prayer right now is just that the things we do here together as we set our hearts on things above will be a a reflection of the things that we get to do together for all eternity as we see you uh, as you really are. Uh, But now, help us to live with eyes of faith, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, please be seated. So, you might not know it uh, from looking at me, but I do try to stay in shape by running, and I I, I don't do it as well as I should. There's there's two things that I I, want to present to you as qualifiers here. Number one... Uh, I am not a social media runner. Uh, You will never find me taking pictures of myself before, during, or after a run. Uh, I do not consider myself to be photogenic at that time. Um, I I also, I will never post distance run. I will never post, uh, you know, time run, calories burned, anything like that. You know, so I, I have no thought about why anybody would want to run together. To, to me, it's something that has to be endured. Um, secondly, I am not, uh, as is often said uh, from the front here, a PE major, uh, unlike some of the other guys. So I don't understand the science of running like they do. I just sort of go out there and do it. Before I came here to CBC, <coughs> I, um, I would go run at, at Lake Mayer, and I would sometimes see Bill Fowler running. And uh, I, I don't know if you've ever seen Bill Fowler running or run with Bill Fowler, but he runs, first of all, about three times faster than I do, uh, effortlessly, just absolutely effortlessly. And he's like talking on the phone and writing his sermon while he's going. You know, it's just, it's no... And so I would see him coming and I would think, oh great, there's that guy. You know, he's going to want to stop and talk. And you know, so we would talk and he would be like, hey, and I would be like, hey. And, you know, we would just kind of try to keep going. What, what I know and what I saw in Fowler uh, is the more you run, the easier it gets, you know, I guess. I don't know. It hasn't really always worked out that way for me. I tried to start back running this week. I thought I would go, you know, just a, a gentle run and about, you know, about three-tenths of a mile in. I was dying, you know. So I, I, got, a lot, I got a lot of work to do to get back to, to where I want to be. I say all this to say, I believe that faith is like a muscle, and it has to be exercised. And truly, the more that you use it, uh, the easier it is. Just very simply, because you know, uh, as you live in faith, you know that God can be trusted. And so, this morning we've come to a fascinating passage, Genesis chapter 15, um, Let me just back up a little bit and bring you into the story of Abram, uh, where we've been thus far. Back in chapter 12, Abram, uh, God appeared to Abram and gave him uh, a promise. He said, I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to give you a land. 
I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you, all right? Abram was 75 years old at the time when he set out to go to the promised land. I don't know about what you are planning on doing when you are 75 years old, but most likely you're not thinking that you're going to be starting all over. By the way, when God makes that promise to Abraham at 75 years old, he will not have Isaac until he is 99. That's 24 years. So this is an entirely new life that Abram is entering into at 75 years old. I mean, at 116, he's going to be that guy at the prom with Isaac standing there. You know, this is a whole new realm for Abram. And I just want to point this out to you. God could have chosen a strapping 27-year-old with five kids and said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make a great nation of you. And that, that would have been amazing, right? God could have chosen to say to Abram, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a great nation at 75 years old and given him Isaac nine months after that. And that would have been amazing. But what God does is He tells Abram, I'm going to do this, and He makes him wait for 25 years. Now, let me just start off just one applicational point this morning before we keep going, and that is this. God chooses to use unremarkable people so that it can be clear that God is at work. You or I would not have picked Abram in Ur of the Chaldees to bless and to have this whole story unfold through him. But God chooses weak people. God chooses unqualified people. God chooses people you would never expect. Why? Because then it's going to be clear that it's not you who did it. It's God who did it. There's no doubt that Abram was blessed by God, and God gets the glory. Okay? All right. So, by the time we get to chapter 15 then, it has been 10 years since God's initial blessing. Okay? Not only is Abram totally rich by this time, but as we saw last week in Genesis chapter 14, he was able to muster an army of 318 trained men and go tearing off after the kings who had come in and conquered Sodom and Gomorrah and taken Lot with them into captivity, all right? So he is a successful man at this point in his life, but something is missing. There is a part of that promise that God hasn't made good on yet. And at 85 years old, Abram thinks the time is probably running out. And I want us to see this morning how God exercises Abram's faith to help him depend more on him. Now, Genesis 15, I am not making an overstatement to say that it is a very important passage in the entire Bible, okay? Genesis 15 is a passage when God is going to make a promise to Abraham that he is going to take with him until he is 99 years old and he finally has Isaac. Genesis 15 is a passage in the Bible when God is going to make a promise that Abram's descendants will spend 400 years in captivity in Egypt, and only after 400 years will they come out of Egypt. And I believe that Moses and those people are hanging on to this promise the whole time. And then finally, this is a passage that the Apostle Paul is going to seize on hundreds of years later to prove that people have always been saved by faith and not by works. 
So we're going to break it down very simply this morning, two divisions. Uh, I want you to see, uh, can Abram trust God? And then secondly, can God be trusted? And I hope as a result that we're going to understand that the people of God for all the generations have always lived righteously by faith and that God has always been faithful. All right? So number one, question number one that we want to talk about this morning, can Abram trust God? Okay. Genesis 15.1, like I said, picks up right after chapter 14. This is a weird society. I know that. It probably doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but Abraham lived in what is called a clan society, all right? There was no sheriff. There was no mayor. There was no government. If you were the head of the family, you functioned in all of those roles. You didn't just provide, you also protected, okay? So Abram had gone out, he'd mustered this army, he's conquered these kings, he's come back, and it's almost like he is sitting there wondering, God, what have I gotten myself into? Yes, you've blessed me, but I never expected that at 85 years old, I'd be out in a different land from where I was born, living as some kind of general. And so God appears to him, in verse 1, and says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. So maybe Abram just needed that encouragement right now. And this is some serious encouragement. As a matter of fact, this is the first time in the Bible that God appears and says to someone, I am your protector. I am your shield. So what a great word of comfort from the Lord that Abram receives. And yet, he's not entirely satisfied. Look what Abram says in response. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. He says, God, I don't understand. I don't understand. You know, I appreciate all the blessing. I appreciate all of the, 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 these abilities that you've given me, but I don't understand what's your plan for advancing my family. I, I don't have an heir. And, and if you don't do something soon, I'm 85 years old, and this guy Eliezer, who's a foreigner, is going to inherit everything that you've given me. Think of it like this. As hard as it is to believe, it's true that as an 85-year-old man, he could have been a great military leader. And it's entirely true that as an 85-year-old man, he could have been a shrewd and successful businessman in that land and made a lot of money. Neither of those things did Abram absolutely require God to do for him. And I, it's not taking from the fact that, that God, of course, is blessing Abram. But what Abram knows that he cannot do for himself, he cannot just decide to have a baby. He's 85 at this point. Sarah is 75 at this point. They just can't decide to make their barren womb alive. This requires supernatural intervention. And so God is exercising Abram's faith. Can you trust me? Can you trust me to do that thing that you absolutely cannot do for yourself? So God responds to Abram. Verses 4 and 5, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
God is so unconcerned about Abram's suggestion for getting this done that he says, that man, he doesn't even mention his name. He doesn't even say Eliezer. That man is not your heir. You are going to have a son. He is going to be your own offspring. And look up, if you can count the stars in the sky, that's how many people are going to be in your family one day. That brings us then to Genesis 15, 6, which is one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. And so we're going to spend just a few minutes with it this morning. Genesis 15 says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, I do not believe that this verse is saying that this is the point when Abram got saved. Some people want to say that, that it wasn't until Genesis chapter 15 that we see Abram get saved. I do not believe that the writer of this, this scripture, Moses, intended us, for read, us to read it that God made the promise, Abraham believed, and then he was saved. I believe that what the writer of the scripture intends for us to understand is that Abram was a man who lived a habitual life of faith, and therefore he was counted righteous before God. He came to the land, he stayed in the land. He trusted God to provide an heir, and so therefore, he is righteous before God. So, what I believe this passage is teaching us in Genesis chapter 15 is this. Those who live according to faith, like Abram, will be counted as righteous before God. Now, let's be clear. I want to be clear at this point. These are the things that Abram did not do, all right, in order to be righteous, He did not get circumcised. There's still two chapters before that comes. He did not get baptized. He did not quit drinking. He did not stop listening to rock music. He did not change his political party affiliation. He did not commit to homeschool his children, get a haircut, lead a healthier lifestyle, stop smoking, stop going to the movies, promise to have a quiet time every day, tuck his shirt in, or even start writing spiritual statuses on Facebook. Abram did not seek out the nearest Baptist church so that he could walk an aisle at the end of the service. What it says is, he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is a simple statement about faith, and it is so simple, but it is so important that the New Testament writers pick it up three times. Paul picks it up in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. He picks it up again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, and he picks it up, and then James picks it up in chapter 2, verse 23. But turn with me. I'm going to put it up here on the board too. Uh, But if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Romans 4, because what Paul does is he picks up this verse to make the case that God's people have always been saved by faith. All right? Let me read it for you. Paul says this, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let me just read on. I I just want to read to you, and and if you have the chapter 4 there, uh, look down at verse 23, but just listen. If you don't have your Bible open, just listen to what Paul goes on to say. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake only, but for ours also. 
it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised the dead, raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. Listen, there is a common misconception about the Old Testament, and that is that in the Old Testament, God is a God of wrath, and He is a God of judgment, and in the New Testament, He is a God of love, and He is a God of grace, and that in the Old Testament, you were saved by the law, and you had to work really hard to pull it off, and in the New Testament, you are saved by grace. It is by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of your works, lest any man should boast. I want you to see from Genesis 15, 6 this morning that God has always been a God of grace and that He has always saved His people by faith. God's people, we were created by Him, we sinned, we were unrighteous in His presence. When we believe Him, He counts us as righteous as a result of that faith. And therefore, Paul reminds us over and over again, boasting is excluded. Boasting is excluded from Abraham. It's excluded from you and I. Why? Because we didn't do anything. God sort of sets us aside and says, I'm going to do this for you. And if you believe it, you are saved. So what must we believe? If Abraham believed God's promises to him to, to make him a great nation and to give him a land, and to bless those who bless Him and curse those who curse Him. What do we believe? We believe God's promises about salvation. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It seems so simple. It seems so simple. Why don't people believe it? Well, first of all, because some people think they're righteous. Some people think they can actually stand righteous before God. Some people think that they can just do enough works to make up for their unrighteousness and appear righteous before God. But that's not believing what God has said. I think others think that I'm, I'm, surely I've got to add something to that. That's too simple, right? Something from that list I read earlier. Surely I must add something to that in order to be saved. No. Faith in Christ's finished work is sufficient. Probably more likely in a crowd like this, there are some out here right now who believe that you have sinned so much that just simple faith couldn't possibly result in forgiveness for your sins. And yet, that's what the Scripture says. You must believe and be saved. Faith is so important. It's so important. It's such a like greeting card, cliche word among Christians. And yet, Paul says, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's so important. It's of eternal significance. And so we need to make sure that we have a biblical understanding of what faith means. Faith is very simple. Get this. It is believing what you cannot see. It is believing without seeing. Abram believed God would give him a son, even though he didn't actually have a son, and he was 85 years old at the time. Now, let me be clear. 
Biblical faith is not deciding that you're going to trust God for something and then trusting Him for that, okay? So if you are poor, it is not biblical faith to say, God is going to make me rich, therefore I am going to trust Him to make me rich. It is not biblical faith to say, I am sick, but God is going to make me well, therefore I am going to have faith that God is going to make me well. It is not even biblical faith. And I've been there, so I'm saying this with a heart of love this morning. It is not even biblical faith to say that I believe that God is going to give us a child, so therefore I am going to have faith that we are going to have a child. You say, well, that's what Abraham, that's what God promised Abram. Yes, specifically, God said, Abram, I am going to give you an heir. But these are not the promises that we find. What we find in the Scripture are promises like this. As I already read, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Faith is believing the actual promises that God has made to us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You get that? You do one thing, confess your sins, God does the cleansing, He does the forgiving. Romans 8, 28 promises that God will work thing, all things out for the good of those who love Him. Philippians 1, 6, God promises to finish the good work that He has started in us. John 14, 2 and 3, Jesus says, I'm going to come back for you one day. I've gone away to make a place for you, but I'm coming back and I'm going to get you. Matthew 6, 33, I will provide for all your needs, Jesus says. And then 1 Peter 1, 4, God has promised an inheritance for us in heaven that is imperishable and will never fade away. I want to encourage you this morning, go home and search the scriptures for the promises of God and believe them. Trust them, because that is biblical saving faith. Now, let's just be clear. Abraham, Abram, was not perfect. The point is not that Abram's faith was unwavering. In fact, if you just read through the account of Abram that we have in Genesis 15 throughout until he dies, he messes up a lot. As a matter of fact, sorry to give it away, Next week, he's going to take this promise that God has given him that there's going to be a child coming from your loins, and he's going to go and he's going to unite himself with Sarah's slave, Hagar, in order to try to create an heir. He is so desperate to get God's promises done his way that he will not wait. So Abram is by no means a perfect example of faith, but he had it, which leads me to this. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you don't have faith, you cannot please God. But in Matthew 17, Jesus says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. All right? So it's not how much faith you have. The question is, do you have faith? And listen, as we look through the lives of men like Abram and Isaac and Jacob and Moses what we find are men who are faithful men, but who have dramatic failures, and God consistently honors their faith in spite of their failures. So Abram takes this promise. He believes God. It's credited to him as righteousness. All right, let's move to the second question then, establishing that the righteous live by faith. Let's ask the question, can God be trusted? How do we know? We have these promises. You know, an imperishable inheritance. 
that is laid up for us in heaven. I can't see that now. How do I trust that God is really going to make good on that promise? And that's exactly the question that Abram asks in verse 8. The Lord appears to him again, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? You haven't given me a son. I've been wandering around here, mustering an army, fighting against kings. How do I know that you're actually going to enable me to possess this land? Which leads me to this. Okay, dramatic switch of subject here. Um, I am a person who, there are certain things that when I see them on the internet, I always click on them, okay? Um, there was one of some point of time, uh, a whale that was on a truck in Japan, and they, they were moving it somewhere, and it exploded in the street, okay? Every time I've ever seen that story about the exploding whale in Japan, I have clicked on it, okay? That is very interesting to me. Anytime I see a video that involves a soldier coming home and seek and like surprising their family to be reunited, I click on that. I do not consider myself to be an emotional individual, but I always start to tear up when I see those things, okay? Cannot help myself. All right, the third one. I just saw it this week. I don't know why it periodically comes through, you know, something that I'm looking at. So there is that show, Britain's Got Talent, which is the uh, British equivalent of American Idol. It's got Simon Cowell and whoever those other two people are. And so Susan Boyle walks out on stage, and she is the last person that you would expect to be performing. I mean, she looks so simple. She's just a simple British lady with a, like a house dress on, and, and the people just moan when they see her come on stage. And the judges are um, kind of making fun of her before she gets ready to sing, asking her little questions, okay? And then, I don't know if you've seen this, but she opens her mouth to sing, and it's gorgeous. And immediately, the whole atmosphere changes. All the people in the audience stand up and start applauding and screaming. That, that one girl in the middle stands up, and she applauds. Even, even Simon's got this smirk on his face. Okay, Genesis 15, verses 9 through 21 is like that, Okay? Maybe you've read this passage before, and you're like, that is so weird, all right? And I want to help you see today that I think this is actually one of the most beautiful passages in the Old Testament and possibly in the entire Bible, all right? I'm gonna, we're going to put the, the passage on the screen here, and I'm going to read it to you. I know I've really built this up, so I'm going to hopefully, hopefully there's going to be a payoff here. All right, here we go. Uh, beginning in verse 9, and he said to him, this is God speaking to Abram, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. And he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And the sun was going down. A deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and will be afflicted for 400 years. 
and I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Okay, we're asking the question, can God be faithful? God, will you do this for me? How can I know? All right, you need to know just a little bit about how they made agreements in that day. This seems very strange, but they were very sophisticated, okay? These people were not cavemen. They knew exactly what they were doing, and they may not have had documents that two people signed and it like went into a a file cabinet in the courthouse, but they had a way of making agreements, all right? So in the Hebrew, the word for covenant actually means to cut, okay? So when you would make a covenant, sometimes you would say, I'm going to cut a covenant. All right, so let's say that you have a piece of land, and I want your land, and I come to you and I say, I would like to purchase your land, and you say to me, okay, well, that's fine, you've got that really nice camel, and I'm interested in getting into camel racing, so I would like to trade your camel for my land, and I'm like, fair enough, I'll give up the camel. So you're like, but there is a really huge, like, Damascus 500 camel race coming up in just a few weeks, and I'd really like to get started, like, right now. But I've already planted my crops for the year, so I'd like to wait a little while, harvest my crops, and then I'll give you the land. And so I would be like, all right, that's fine. You can go ahead and have the camel, and I'll wait for the land. All right, so what we would do then is we would walk around the edges of the land and establish the boundaries. And then we would go and get an animal, and we would cut it in half, and we would lay it on either side of the path. Now, what's key is that we would walk through together and we would be making a covenant, sometimes called a blood covenant, that says, if I don't make good on my agreement in this deal, may what has happened to these animals happen to me. All right? It's a very, very serious covenant that is being made between these two individuals. All right, so let's take that understanding And let's look at this passage. God says to Abram, go get me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And so Abraham takes those animals, and he cuts them in half. He doesn't cut the birds in half, and he lays them on either side of the path. Now, he waits. Verse 11 says, the birds of prey come and try to eat the carcasses. Again, God is always making Abram wait, all right? And so he waits. And then finally, darkness comes. God takes Abram, and he sets him aside, and he puts him into a dreadfully dark sleep. And then God begins to speak. He makes Abram three promises. First of all, he says, your descendants are going to be enslaved for 400 years. I'm going to take them. They're going to go off to a different nation. They're going to experience affliction. You, Abram, are going to die in peace at a ripe old age. And then the third promise is, when the iniquity of the Amorites is complete, in exactly my time, when these people in Canaan have sinned so much 
that I can take it no longer. I'm going to bring Israel back into the land, and in exactly my timing, those people are going to come, and they're going to possess the land. So, verse 17, God appears in the form of a torch, some kind of torch or baking oven of some kind, and he begins to move through the pieces. Just him. Just him as he moves through the pieces. This is what God is saying, folks. Hear this. God is saying, Abram, I'm setting you aside. I'm going to make a covenant, unilateral covenant. It's just me. If I don't live up to my promise, then may what has happened to these two animals happen to me. That's what God is saying. Now, I need you to move forward in your mind several thousand, couple of thousand years because God in the person of Jesus Christ is on a cross. God has always, always, always been faithful. Human beings have never, ever, ever been faithful. And yet God, the one who walked through those carcasses and said, if I ever am untrustworthy to my promise, puts himself on a cross on our behalf, the ones who have actually been unfaithful to God. And he allows his body to be torn. He allows his body to be broken so that we can live. Ladies and gentlemen, the gracious God of the New Testament was also the gracious God of the Old Testament. He has always been the God who says to His people, I'm going to set you aside and I'm going to do this on your behalf. I'm going to put myself in your place and I'm going to say, if I break the covenant, may this happen to me. We break the covenant. He allows His own body to be broken in our place. Don't ever let anybody tell you that the God of the Old Testament is a God of law because the God of the Old Testament was just as much a God of grace as He is today. Let me just, I want to leave it there, but I want to give you opportunity to think about three things as we move forward this morning. First of all, it's this. Do you have faith? Do you have faith? This is a question that is absolutely vital to our eternal existence. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is this simple. A human being who dies without faith will be lost forever. A human being with faith is considered righteous before God. There was a man, and his name was Jesus, and he really lived, and he claimed to be God himself, and he died on a cross in our place to bear our sin, and he rose from the dead three days later, and he ascended back to the Father in heaven, 
and he is coming again to assume his rightful place as king of this world. My question to you this morning, if you have not believed, my question to you this morning is this, will you believe that and be saved? The Bible says that any good works you try to bring are as filthy, disgusting rags before God. You cannot add anything to that. So, will you leave the disgustingness of your good works and come to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have faith? That's the first question this morning. Secondly, anything God brings to your life that exercises your faith is a good thing. Anything that God brings to your life that exercises your faith is a good thing. Y'all, God exercises the faith of His children. There is no question in my mind. It is good for us to learn to depend. We spend our lives, we eat the food on our table, we think, well, I made the money to, to, to get that. It's, it's not entirely clear whether it's me or whether it's God. So God likes to put us in positions, just like with Abraham. Abraham's super successful, and he's super powerful, but he cannot make himself have a baby. Only God can fulfill that part of the promise. God exercises the faith of His children. It's good for us to learn to depend on Him. There's a verse that's meant a lot for me in this regard. It's from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What you need to know is that when God brings you those difficult times, when God brings you those hard times, and you're like, I am currently at the end of myself, it is there that He is stretching you so that you can see that His promises are real. Christian, are you trusting in the promises of God this morning? Or are you trusting in your own abilities to make things happen? The Bible tells us that our weakness is our strength. And it is when God takes us to those places where we are at the end of ourselves that we look to God and find His promises to be true. Don't be afraid to step out and trust in the promises of God. Let me take you just quickly. Hebrews chapter 11, I, I don't have it on the screen. Let me read it to you real quick. This is, where, this is where Abram, God speaks of Abram at this time, and this just offers us a little bit of insight here. Um, let's start in, in verse 8. Let me just read it to you. Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he had received, was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that housed foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants 
as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. Finally this, when you find your faith wavering, look to the cross. When you find your faith wavering, look to the cross. I know that there are some of you, perhaps many of you who are in this room, and you have been trusting for a long time in the promises of God. Old sins are dying way, way harder than you thought. You look at your life and you're like, man, when I became a Christian so many years ago, I would have thought that I would be so much further along by this point. And God has promised to complete the work that He has said He was going to do in me, and He hasn't done it yet. And what's going on? I would invite you to look to the cross. Maybe discouragement and even darkness hide His hand in your life. Maybe you just can't see it. Maybe you're depressed. Things are happening. It's hard for you to look above your circumstances and to see Him. I would invite you to look to the cross. Your prayers seem to be unanswered. He says, ask and you shall receive. And you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. And you're wondering, does he hear? And nothing seems to change. I would invite you to look to the cross. The covenant-keeping God who in Abraham's day walked between those carcasses and said, if I am not faithful to my covenant with you. May this happen to me. And then again, when we were unfaithful to Him, He took our place and He went to the cross and He endured what we deserved for our sake on our behalf. Look to the cross. When you wonder if God will really keep His promises, look back to the cross. You know, God intended Abram to wait 25 years years for Isaac to be born. God says in that same passage, He says, you know, Israelites, it's going to be 400 years of affliction before you come back to the land. Think, think about if you were some of those people who were living in like year 50 of those 400 years. God, are you really going to make good on your promises? But here's the thing. God is so serious about redeeming your life, that He sent His own beloved Son to be sacrificed on your behalf. Will you believe that today? Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, thank You for Your Word to us. Thank You for Your goodness to us. I thank You for Your love for us. God, Will you help us in faith to believe the promises that you have made? Thank you, God, that you have taken us out and you have had us watch as you live faithfully and carefully over the generations with your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.